lugar llora el cielo de ternura en un lugar todo el verde está de fiesta y en alta mar no muy lejos de Cornelland y el Blot hubo un hombre niño pesca un saco the uh, pictures speak for themselves as far as the amount of damage that was done in Nicaragua. The, uh, most of those pictures that you saw are places that uh, I have been and people here in the church have been and uh, the devastation and some of the people that own those businesses and in those communities, uh, we know those people, they're friends of ours and as a church, we've been ministering to them for several years uh, and uh, they're just wonderful, wonderful people, and and they're they they definitely they they will be at work. They're probably already much at work restoring and rebuilding. Obviously, you could see there. There's not much building code that goes on uh, in uh, in that particular area. That's on the river in the river community where we go. And there's uh, the damage to our uh, I say our the runners uh, thing that they've built and. And that community there for the what we call the clinic, it was not damaged. It's up pretty high, except a little from wind. The uh, uh, damage right below that was it was down lower, and it's the late the lady lives there who actually uh, cooks for us when we go there to eat or for other groups that come in that they minister to, and her and their home was was actually washed away completely, uh, nothing there. So all kinds of needs. So. What we're asking for there, of course, the, one of the great blessings with, with that situation, many times you don't know who to help or how to help, but, but Ronnie Hopkins, our missionary there, he knows these people and he knows their needs. Uh, he knows them individually, he knows the community, and some of the churches were certainly damaged there that were near the river. Uh, so I just add what we've done in the first service, and I ask you to think about, we're taking up a collection at the end of this service, uh, for any donations uh, to give that will go through Acts 1-8, which is our ministry that we, that we work through. But, uh, but we'll get to uh, 
Ronnie, and then Ronnie will have the, the one, he'll be in charge of, of, of actually where to, where to apply those funds and, and, and that help. So uh, just ask you to pray about what God would have you to do. And, and I'm very thankful for Ronnie Hopkins and his ministry because it, it's, it's never ending from him. It's on and on and on. So thank you. Let me pray. God, thank you uh, for these people. Thank you, God, for their hard work. God, I know they're looking at it today as we're here, and, and we don't have those issues or problems here in and around our church, but they do, and, and God, they, they need our help. And God, I thank you that you know every need that they have. I thank you, Heavenly Father, that, that we have Ronnie to Hopkins to be there and to help and to other people in the community. Thank you, Father, that there's many in this community. Obviously, it's not just us and our church. This, this ministry reaches into uh, several different states, God, and, and I'm sure that they'll be helping as well because there's tremendous need. But, God, you know where the needs are. And we thank you, Heavenly Father, that, that you make it possible for us to participate in, in these needs and to help for your glory. And I ask you, dear God, to give strength to these people to see themselves, to see it through, and just to depend on you, God, and to trust you. Because, God, we know from our own experiences that we can always trust you and know that you know. And we're thankful, God, uh, for your love for us and for these people. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. So on Friday, as my students bell work, I asked them to... um, do a little thing online to say what they were thankful for. And so normally I get like one answer, you know, like food on Thanksgiving, break. We don't have school next week. Like those are my typical answers in previous years. But this year I was really impressed because almost all of my students, about 85 of them, I guess, they wrote like paragraphs. Like I'm thankful for my family and for my friends and that I'm getting to go to church and I'm thankful that we've been in school. And I was just amazed that nobody said they were thankful that school was out next week. I kind of am, just for a week. Um, but all these things, I was just amazed at how they all took time to just write out such big lists of things they were thankful for. And I thought, you know, I really think that's part of a result from the year we've had. I think, you know, if a child has really taken time to reflect and think about and realize all the things they have that they're truly grateful for, I wonder if we've gotten caught back up in the busy and if we've really taken time to do that and to think of all the things that we're truly grateful for. So we're going to sing this morning, Count Your Many Blessings. Um, But I encourage you this week at some point to, you know, maybe around the dinner table or maybe in your own quiet time to just list out those things that you're most grateful for um, in a way that we can glorify God through them. Um, So if you'll stand, we're going to sing Count Your Blessings together.
gracious Heavenly Father God, Lord, I just pray this morning that you, um, you'll just remind us of all the ways you've blessed us, God. Lord, may we use those blessings to honor and glorify you and just extend your kingdom, Lord. God, I pray that um, as we enter into the Advent season after this week, God, that you'll just place certain families on our hearts for us to reach out to, to invite back to church, God. Lord, I, I pray that we don't take the blessing of gathering lightly, God. I pray that we don't take um, the blessing of being able to sing and worship together lightly, God. Lord, I pray that it's one that we treasure um, and that we're truly thankful for this year, God. Lord, I pray this week as um, families are join, um, joining together and gathering, some in different ways, some in the same ways, God, that you'll just um, protect us, Lord, um, and protect our nation, God. Just allow us to fellowship together, Lord, um, and just honor and glorify you. God, as we go into this time of study, I just pray that our hearts will be open to receive your word and that our minds will be cleared of things that may distract us, God, and that you'll just pre, uh, speak clearly through um, Bryson and these words, God. Lord, we just love you and praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated and children can go to the back to Children's Church. Philippians chapter 1, Philippians chapter 1, uh, we're going to be starting in verse 12. Um, Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse 12. This week I talked to, uh, once again I talked to Neil earlier this week, and uh, he, we were just talking about the, the craziness of, of this year and all the different circumstances that have happened with him being gone for three weeks in a row. And he says, I don't know that I've ever been gone three weeks in a row. And I said, yeah, and don't ever do it again. And uh, so, but I, I'm thankful and grateful that I've had the opportunity just to, uh, to have this time together. Um, it's almost as if God has orchestrated himself a mini-series here in, uh, in worship. You know, a couple of weeks ago we talked about the reason that we worship, and last week we talked about the necessity of God in our worship. And this week I want us to look at, through, through Paul in this letter, um, the 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 thought process of how Jesus can increase, how Jesus must increase, even within our daily walk, um, even within times of, of difficulty, the reasons that Jesus must increase in our lives. And so that's what we're going to be looking at today. So as we read um, Philippians 1, 12 through 26, we, I want us to enter into that with this thought process that Jesus must increase. And so when we begin to look at this text, I just want us to really quick just kind of talk about um, who the Philippians are and also the, the circumstances that Paul is in right now. Paul is uh, most likely um, imprisoned at this time. We're not exactly sure what prison, but many believe that he's on house arrest um, within his home, chained up um, in, in, in Rome. And uh, he's writing from this sort of um, difficult circumstance, right? This isn't the easiest situation to find joy and happiness in a situation in which I'm chained, right? I'm chained up. And we're going to talk about that in a second. But also we want to think about the Philippians. The Philippians, um, it, Philippi was a prosperous city. Um, those were citizens there that were also dual citizens of Rome. Um, they had a, much allegiance to their kingdom here on earth. They had much allegiance to, to, to the people of Rome and to Caesar and, and to all of those things. They were very much grounded in their culture. And so we're going to see both of those worked out in this letter by Paul, but I just want us to understand and see that where Paul is coming from, but also where the Philippians are coming from, as we read Philippians 1, 12 through 26. 
It says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. And as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what, what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And if I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for the progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Lord, we love you. Thank you for this time that we get to spend together. Thank you for your word. Lord, I just, um, I come before you now just hoping and praying and seeking, Lord, that you would, you would stir our hearts, Lord, that you would show us not only the truth of this passage, Lord, but the truth that it take, that, that it, that it anchors within our lives, Lord, that we can go out and, and see differently the way in which you've called us to live in, in, in all the areas that we've talked that we're going to talk about, Lord, in all the areas that, that that come before us, Lord, that we will continue to glorify you. In your, your name we pray. Amen. Jesus must increase. So the first thing that we're going to look at this morning as we look at the ways in which Jesus must increase is first of all, he must increase through all circumstances. He must increase through all circumstances. So not only is Paul a prisoner at this point, but At this point in his life, several things have happened since Jesus got a hold of Paul on the road to Damascus. There's been this continuous uh, change that's happened in his life. And so some of the things that have happened, I'm going to list really quick. In Acts chapter 9, shortly after Paul's conversion, there began a conspiracy to have Paul killed. So within a few years of his conversion, Paul has gone from a man that the Jews lay their garments down in his feet at the stoning of Stephen to a man in which they're plotting to kill. Acts 16, Paul and Silas are imprisoned together. Acts 19, Paul is caught in a riot for proclaiming the gospel at Ephesus. Acts 21, Paul arrested in Jerusalem, falsely charged with teaching against the Jewish law. Acts 27, Paul is in a shipwreck on the way to Rome for trial. In Acts 28, Paul is under house arrest. So Paul may be talking about his current imprisonment in Rome. He may, he may be talking about these other circumstances. But what we see is Paul has been through a journey. There have been ups and downs in Paul's life. And many of us, me included, look at this and think, my goodness, what a life. 
What a life of, of, of imprisonment. What a life of shipwreck. All of these things, in my mind, I, Paul would have every reason to write this letter in a downcast way. Every reason to whine and complain about the things that have happened to him since his conversion to Jesus. I often very much too easily lose my sense of purpose when difficulty emerges in my life. I think for a second about um, the way Brooke and I like to spend time together. We like to watch movies. And uh, especially before Charlie was born, we would, we, would, we would spend date night watching a movie at home. And, uh, and, and one thing that we w- what would happen is the purpose behind that would be for her and I to spend quality time together. Right? That's what we want. That was the purpose of this time that we had together. So we'd, we'd pick out the movie, which only took us, you know, like an hour to do. You know, pick out a movie. And then we would, we would go through the steps of movie preparation. We'd get the blankets and the popcorn popped. And we love M&Ms in our popcorn. So we'd get that and, and mix it all together. And we'd go to hit play and then the Wi-Fi doesn't work. And I, I remember going and, and working with the Wi-Fi and you hit the restart button and it doesn't work. So you call AT&T and they say, did you hit the restart button? Like I didn't know to do that. And by the time everything gets worked out and everything gets fixed, I have totally lost the concept of spending quality time with my wife. The, the, the hardship of, of the Wi-Fi going out, man, it, it, it changes my perception. And by the, by the time I come to being able to spend this quality time with my wife, it's no longer viable because I've allowed circumstances to influence my goal. I've allowed the, 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 the little things that, that, that don't really matter in the long scheme of things to affect the ultimate goal of spending time with my wife. I spend the rest of the movie complaining about the Wi-Fi, complaining about who I talk to. My popcorn's now cold. My M&Ms are now melted. Right? We, we get so focused on things that don't really matter. We get so focused on the negative aspect of life in every situation, and we allow that to drive us or me at least, maybe not you, but for me, that is what I like to fixate on. So if Paul's whole entire life was centered around his circumstances, there would be no way in which prison would ever be considered a tool to bring about his goal of making much of Jesus. But Paul explains in this letter that when our life's goal is for Jesus to increase circumstances that we might consider a hindrance to this goal can actually be used by Jesus as a way to fulfill that goal. Isn't it amazing the way that Jesus works in which he can take the worst of circumstances, but when your eyes are fixated on him, he can give it much greater purpose. He can get you to look beyond the difficulty, to look to the good that can come from it, and he can take the worst things that life can throw at you and turn them into a blessing and a joy. Paul is so focused on Christ and bringing glory to him that chains, the chains that he is enduring are not a hindrance to his mission, but they are actually a platform for it. Paul would have been surrounded by these prison guards. They would have come in and out, making sure that Paul was staying in place. Oftentimes at this time, they would even chain themselves to the prisoner to make sure that he could not escape. And from my perspective, I would have got very annoyed at being chained to somebody else. Very annoyed at being chained to this person who felt like they had control over me. And I would have seen these people as enemies. But Paul says, 
I don't see these, these, these guards as enemies. I don't see this prison right, as a hindrance. What I see are these people as a mission field. I see Jesus giving me an opportunity to speak to people who may never hear about Jesus from anyone else again. So Jesus has given me the opportunity to be in prison to tell them about how good Jesus is. The vast majority of these guards would have been unbelievers, many of them probably knowing very little of Jesus beyond the stories told of his death. But he said, this, this, this imprisonment is not a place of despair. And these guards are not enemies. But Jesus has given me this amazing mission field to tell them about, about my mission of making much of Jesus. And so two things that I want us to see really quickly about his, his ministry to these Roman guards is one, that Paul says that he, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard that I am in chains for Christ. I want us to look at that word clear for a second. He isn't mumbling under his breath about Jesus. Paul isn't sitting there writing these letters in silence, right? Only talking about how good Jesus is within his own heart, right? Paul is making it very clear to those that are around him that there is a purpose for me being here, and that purpose is to glorify Jesus, to make much of Jesus through all of my circumstances. So when the kingdom of Jesus is the most powerful motivator in your life and mind, there is nothing that can stop us from making our mission clear, I often consider my own life, my own relationships, and I wonder how often do I truly make my ministry clear in my daily walk. I can think back from high school and middle school days of the number of relationships I let come and go without ever having a gospel conversation. I can think about the situations in which Jesus has called me, and I know he's urged me to have these conversations, and I have avoided them for the lack of of a better term, because of little things such as awkwardness, little things such as intimidation. Oftentimes my faith fails when I succumb to these, to these fears. But Jesus says when it comes to glorifying me, when it comes to increasing my name, there is no room to be unclear. We, we must make it clear who it is that we live for. We make it clear whom we support in politics. And we make it clear what basketball team we cheer for. And we make it clear what food we like to eat. We make all of those things abundantly clear in our social media posts and in our lives and in our conversations. But Jesus says, with the mission of making much about me, you need to make it clear who you live for. Who you desire. Who drives you. We must make our conversations and our hearts clear to those who are around us that we live to make much of Christ. The second distinction we must make is that he is in chains for Christ. He is in chains for Christ. Paul is not blaming Jesus for his circumstances, but thanking him for his circumstances. He is establishing that all of his circumstances will be used to increase Jesus and his name. And so when we trust in the sovereignty of God, we do not look at our situations as being stuck somewhere, but we look at our situations as, as being placed somewhere for a purpose. God has put us where we are for a purpose, and that purpose is to bring glory to him in that situation. So do not, do not look at life and the hardships as a way to be 
negatively affected, but look at a way to be positively affected for the kingdom. It is important for us to note that Paul's faithfulness to Jesus has not only led the prison guard ministry, but it's also led to encourage other believers to confidently praise Jesus without fear. God is using Paul's chains as a way to show other believers that Jesus must increase no matter our circumstances. It is important for us to daily be devoted to Christ, to daily seek Him, to daily have our hearts set on Him, because we want to come to the point that people around us see that we hold to the truth that Jesus must increase no matter what is happening in our lives, no matter what the world says is going on, Jesus must increase. C.S. Lewis has a great quote, and he says, I had not noticed either that just as men spontaneously praise whatever they value, so they spontaneously urge us to join them in praising it. Isn't she lovely, they ask. Wasn't it glorious? Don't you think that magnificent? I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is, in, is incomplete until it is expressed. And so what that means is if I truly take joy in Jesus, that the consummation of my joy will be me going and telling other people about how much I love Jesus. Think about the things that you, I, I go and eat a steak, right? Because I, I like to eat. And I'm going to tell, if it's good, I'm going to tell everybody around me how good it was. You need to try this steak. It's amazing. We have those conversations all the time. I think about when I first started dating Brooke. And I went back to school and I told everybody how awesome she was. Because not only did I want to experience how amazing she was, but I wanted you to know how good she was. I have a son now, Charlie. And we're not going to have a conversation without me talking about him. Because he's amazing. He's growing. He's moving. He's, I, I can't believe he's mine right? And I can't help but tell other people about it. Why do we do such a thing? Because when we take joy in something, when we love something, it comes out in the way that we talk to other people. It comes out in the way that we express ourselves. So C.S. Lewis is saying here, not only should we do that in our daily walk, in our daily lives with other stuff, but we should do that in our view of Jesus. Paul could not help but be in chains and continue to talk to the palace guards about how good Jesus was. He said, listen, you're here, to, you're here to listen, I'm here to talk. I'm going to tell you about how good my Savior is. The culmination of our love for Jesus is our expression of that love through our conversations. Our expression of that love through our kingdom mindset. Our faith is a building block for the kingdom to grow. And that must be the case no matter the circumstance. Often out of the worst of circumstances, God makes the biggest change in people's lives. Just as Catherine was talking about, if we hadn't gone through what we'd gone through, I don't know if those kids would realize all that there is to be thankful for. I don't know that I would realize how, how blessed I am to be at this church if I wouldn't have taken four months to not be here. I don't know how much I would appreciate spending time with my family if it wouldn't have been taken away for a little while. In all circumstances, we must recognize and see that Jesus must increase. 
Because often it's in those bad circumstances that he makes the biggest impact. And Paul knows that, and he says, listen, these chains, these chains are for Christ, and I'm going to glorify him, and everyone who comes in contact with me is going to know that I'm in chains for, for him. So that's the first thing. Through all circumstances, Jesus must increase. Secondly, in spite of personal gain, in spite of personal gain, Jesus must increase. So in verse 15, Paul then brings to the reader's attention that although many people have been emboldened by his circumstances to preach the gospel, not everyone is doing so from the right motives. And he, described these two, he describes these two groups. One group, they, they, they preach Jesus more efficiently and more boldly out of goodwill. He says that they, they preach Jesus out of a, a, a love, knowing that, that Paul is there for the defense of the gospel, that it emboldens them to go and, and, and make disciples, emboldens them to go and preach the gospel. But there's a second group. The second group preaches out of rivalry and envy. They do so out of selfish ambition, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. So I think about this in terms of athletics, but if there's a new best player on the scene, usually there's two responses to that. One is I want to join them. <laughs> Or two is that I want to beat them. We see this all the time. If somebody new comes on the scene, either I want to be on their team or I want to beat them. Right? There's this, there's this continuous response. And so within these people's lives in Rome, within these preachers, some of them falling away from the faith through the persecution. They, they come back forth and some of them say, Paul has encouraged me to continue to preach the gospel because I see Jesus at work in his life. They look at him and they say, I see the truth of James 1. 2 through 4 that says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So out of this came an increased sense of confidence in their purpose of making Jesus known. But the second group is described as taking an opposite approach. They saw the, they saw the popularity of Paul and as a challenge to be taken on. They looked at him as, as an adversary more so than they did as a companion. Now, we need to understand is they were speaking truth, right? They were preaching truth. Let's not, let's not say that Paul is condoning speaking non-truth. They're, they're, they're preaching about Jesus and the resurrection, but they're doing it out of selfish reasons. They're doing it from a heart of, 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 a, of opposition to Paul. And so Paul sees them, and he's sure, I'm sure he has these disciples in his ear saying, listen, these people are not preaching out of, out of the right reasons. They're preaching Jesus because they don't like you. And I love Paul's response. Paul says, what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. What an incredible statement from Paul, and one that goes against every possible fleshly desire. Paul's number one priority is that Jesus increases in the hearts and the minds of as many people as possible. We must see and understand that Jesus and his message, his life, his salvation is more important than our own personal gain. The gospel of Jesus Christ and the power of that message is far greater than the medium through which it comes. 
And so what that means is whether it's through me or whether it's through somebody else, as long as Jesus is preached, that's all that matters. If Paul's attitude with his ministry would have been, this ministry is about Paul, he never could have made this statement. If his heart behind his ministry was to increase himself, he would have seen these people as enemies rather than as helpers. Paul could not have this attitude if his ministry was about Paul. It is only when we are, when we are transformed by Jesus that we can truly live out this humble life in which we, don't, we say, I don't care whether I am glorified or not as long as Jesus is. Matthew 5, 16, when Jesus speaks on being the salt and light of the world, it does not say, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify you. It says that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. The life of a Christian is rooted in the glorifying nature of Jesus. And so that if there's a youth group a mile down the road that explodes and people are coming from, from miles and miles around. And even if I lose some people from here to go there, I, I should be excited by the fact that they are preaching truth and Jesus is being known because it is not about my ministry, it is about his. We ought to be excited when we see groups of people coming to a church and glorifying Jesus because even if it's not here, Jesus is being glorified. I ought to see that this is not about my own personal gain, and it's not about your own personal gain, and it's not about Paul's own personal gain. It is about letting people know that Jesus is good, advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oswald Chambers says, Never water down the word of God. Preach it in its undiluted sternness. There must be unflinching faithfulness to the word of God, but... When you come to personal dealings with others, remember who you are. You are not someone special. You are not a special being created in heaven. You are a sinner saved by grace. We take this message out as humble servants and know that the purpose of our lives is not for people to leave our presence glorifying us, but to leave our presence glorifying Him. This isn't about Jesus being used for my ministry. This is about me being used for his. And so Paul says, my life is centered around the increase of Jesus, to make Jesus known in every circumstance, whether anybody knows my name or not, they will know his. Is that the way in which we view our lives as believers? When we go to work, when we go to our family, when we go to our relationships, do we want them to see Jesus more than we, we want them to see us? Because that is what we're called to as believers, to live a life in which Jesus must increase in spite of personal gain. It's not about you and I. It's about him and him alone. And Paul knows that and sees that. And he says, let them continue to preach. Whether they like me or not, I want Jesus to be made known to as many people as possible. That is a life rooted in the mission of making Jesus increase. And then finally, we make Jesus increase in view of eternity. Jesus must increase in view of eternity. Now, going from one good thing about preaching two messages in a morning is that you can make adjustments. And so 
I, don't, I, I want to start off with the, uh, the example that I'm going to give instead of finish with it because I think it, it kind of leads in better. But Paul finishes this section pointing towards the future. He says that he will continue to rejoice in knowing that the prayers of the Philippians, along with the work of the Holy Spirit, will lead to his deliverance. Paul knows that Jesus is using him as a vessel through which to further advance the gospel. Paul lives out the verses of Romans 12 that says, "...to offer your body as a living sacrifice." holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So Paul knows and understands that the increase of Jesus in his life will ultimately be fulfilled when? In eternity. And so what I want us to see for a second is, is, is look at all the decorations. I want to thank everyone who decorated. It looks great in here. Uh, but as, as I drove down t- uh, Highway 27 one night, people, I mean, three weeks ago, people had their lights up for Christmas. And Brooke and I have always been a post-Thanksgiving a holiday decorating committee, okay? We, we always wait until after Thanksgiving. We go get our tree on Friday and all those kind of things. We don't listen to Christmas music until then. But this year, I walked in, and she was listening to Christmas music this week before Thanksgiving. But think of the things that we do in preparation for Christmas. We, we, we have the decorations, and we, we hang up stockings, and we start buying presents, and we put, uh, put up our trees, and we listen to the music, and and, and as I think about that, and I thought about, why do we do that? Why do we get ourselves in the Christmas mood? And as I thought about that, the reason that we do such a thing is, is, to, what, is to prepare ourselves for Christmas Day. Nobody takes their greatest joy for Christmas in putting up the tree. Nobody takes their greatest joy in Christmas by listening to the Christmas music. The greatest joy in Christmas is Christmas morning. That is what all of this is being built towards, right? That is what we're all moving towards is that, that morning when we wake up and we get to spend all day with family celebrating and the wonderfulness of, of Christmas morning. I love that Christmas. I go eat good breakfast twice, right? I, I love Christmas morning, but I want a taste of Christmas morning in preparation for Christmas. And so what do I do is I put up the decorations and I surround myself with Christmas ornaments, and I surround myself with the smell of Christmas, and I surround myself with Christmas music, all in anticipation of, what, of how wonderful Christmas will be. And I say all that to say this, is that Paul lives his life in preparation for how wonderful eternity will be. He, look at what he says in verse 20 and, and, and following. He says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, and this is probably the, the most known verse in this entire book, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful, fruitful labor for me, yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it will be more necessary for you that I remain in the body. So Paul knows and understands that the increase of Jesus in his life now will ultimately be fulfilled in eternity. And so what I want us to see and understand is that the reason that that we want more and more of Jesus now, not only in our lives but in the lives of other people, is because it gives us a little taste of how amazing it will be to be with him forever. Jesus has provided his Holy Spirit at work in our lives, to give us a sense of how good it's going to be to be identified with and connected to him in glory. 
Think about the songs that we sing about heaven. Think about what they're oriented around. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we will sing and shout the victory. You know, we have all of these different ideas about what's going to make heaven great. And I'm not here to, to explain to you what, the, what, what heaven's going to look like or what it's going to be like. What I am here to tell you is that what makes heaven so great is that Jesus is there. Whether we're walking down streets of gold or, or sitting around a table or just kneeling before the throne, glorifying him, what, what makes me excited about heaven is the fact that Jesus is waiting on me there. The Savior of the world, the one who, who died for me, the one who empowers me, that emboldens me, that, that gives me life, that gives my life meaning. He's waiting for me in heaven. So why wouldn't I want an increase of him in my life now to get me prepared for that time of glory for eternity? Jesus must increase because Jesus increasing in our life now keeps eternity in view. Colossians 3 says, since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. So for Paul and for all believers, the mindset must be to live as Christ, right? He says, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. Through, your, through my being with you, again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. To live is Christ, right? To live is discipleship, and to live is evangelism, and to live is, is, is community, and to live is being together as the body. But to die is, is, is forever with him. To die is gain. When we have this mindset and this heart, it makes it a lot easier to, to keep focused on why Jesus must increase now. Jesus has given us the gift of eternal life, and often we lose sight of the best part of eternity. Communion with the Lord forever. So the increase of Jesus in our lives now is just a taste of what, eterni what eternity will be. Why would I want to do anything else but strive towards eternity? Later on in, in, in the book, in Philippians chapter 3, Paul says, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. We want to increase, we want Jesus to increase in our lives in preparation for the day that we get to be fully immersed in his presence forever. So as we leave today and as we go out and as we continue on the mission of making much about Jesus, we need to remember that Paul tells us here in this letter and that Jesus tells us throughout his ministries that in every circumstance, Jesus must increase. In spite of personal gain, Jesus must increase. And in view of eternity, Jesus must increase. That is our goal as believers, is for people to know Jesus. So allow us to see that and understand that throughout our lives. Allow us to see when we sit around Thanksgiving table this week or, or, or wherever you may be, Lord, how can, how can I make you known right now in this moment? In spite of what it may do for me, in spite of the circumstances of how the morning's gone, let, let me make you known forever and ever.
And one day we get to spend forever and ever with him. And what a great day that will be. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. And um, Lord, I thank you for servants like Paul. Lord, I thank you for the, the way in which they teach us um, just to, to grow in you, Lord. The way that they show us what it means to truly be um, rooted together with you, Lord. To tr- truly be anchored in you, Lord. And so I pray that we leave this morning not looking for the bad things of our situations, Lord, but seeing the ways in which you've given us a chance to glorify you through our situations. Lord, this has been a year in which it's easy for us to say, how can I ever make an impact on the kingdom when things have been so bad? But I pray that our hearts would be changed and that we would say, what a great opportunity that we've been given to make, an op- to make much of the kingdom through our difficulties, Lord, that we would see you and your glory as the ultimate goal for our lives, Lord, and that we would remember that one day we're going to get to spend forever with you. And that ought to bring us to to want to glorify you and honor you more and more. Lord, I pray that you just be with us as as we sing together now, Lord, that we would keep a thankful heart, Lord, and that you would give us the opportunity just to glorify you this week. In your name we pray. Amen. You come forward as we sing. Amen. Um, don't forget um, to, if you, if you feel led to give to Nicaragua, there, there'll be people in the back that'll take up that offering. Um, a, a group of people in desperate need right now, and so let's remember how much we've been given um, as we leave. And also, no services tonight or Wednesday night um, because of, of Thanksgiving and people being gone and all those kind of things, but don't let that stop you from glorifying Jesus, okay? Just because we're not meeting here doesn't mean we don't, we stop glorifying Him. So that's what we want to do this week as we go into our families, into our houses, and all those different things. So I think that's it. Am I missing anything? Okay, so we hope to see you next Sunday morning um, as we begin Advent together. And like I said, don't forget that they will be taking up an offering in the back.
for that. Let's sing that out. Follows you together to leave. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures. Wonderful Thanksgiving.